Hi everyone and welcome to Keating Chambers on um, interview tips and tricks and application tips and tricks. Um, I'm Lucy Garrick, you see I'm the head of the People's Committee at Keating Chambers and uh, for one of these videos I had my um, Zoom touch-up turned on and for the rest of them it's turned off. Now people watching are going to be able to um, check which one they think it is. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves, um, starting with Lena. Hi, good morning. My name is Lena Marie van Einen. I am one of the three pupils at Keating this year. I study law and polit politics in, in London at Queen Mary University and UCL. And I was called to the bar in 2019. Thank you. Um, Wen Jin. Hi, um, my name is Wen Jin. I'm one of the other pupils at Keating this year. Uh, I did law at Cambridge. I graduated last year. I actually uh, grew up in Singapore, and before university, I'd never been to the United Kingdom at all. But it's in a very welcoming country. I'm very happy to have stayed. Uh, I was actually called to the bar just this week. Yes, congratulations. You sent me an excellent photograph. Um, Charlie. Uh, hi, I'm Charlie Thompson. I'm a tenant at Keating. I'm on the Pupilage Committee 2012 call. And as an 18-month-old child, I was once ejected from a monastery for inappropriate behaviour. <laughs> he had to do something um, to beat his other story uh, featuring in his other um, his other video and podcast. Um, ben. Hi, I'm Ben Graff. I'm the most junior member of Keating Chambers. I was called last year and I finished my pupillage in September. Thank you, Ben. Um, so we've got a crack team of people that have just done the application process and um, have just come through it with obviously many other chambers as well as as well as Keating. Um, and so we're going to do a few tips and tricks. We're going to start with tips for the application form. Um, one from one from everybody. I'm going to start with Ben this time. My tip is to use the resources at your disposal. Now, what I mean by that is that chambers often have quite a lot of, of information about themselves on their own website, and there are many other resources as well that are incredibly helpful. So Chambers Student, Target Jobs have a few articles about different chambers as well, um, Chambers of Partners, etc. Now, the reason I think that's useful is because you can then see the way that members of chambers describe their own practices, why they like it, why they think it's good, etc., um, which will help inform you um, it will help inform you as to why it might be nice to be a member of their chambers um, as opposed to and it will help you tailor your application to, to that specific set um, so I think I think I, I think people can sometimes perhaps fall down you know um, in, in using too many gener generalities with describing um, the reason that they want to join a particular set and it's obviously difficult when you're applying for 15 places or more whatever um so um so i think just be aware of all the information that's out there and, and, and try and use it thank you um lena tip for the application form yes i i actually would add on to what ben has just said and say that once you've done that research once you know what that chambers is looking for what their particular characteristics are that they're looking for um think about your experience and don't just get stuck at your legal experience, but think above and beyond that. So I think a lot of times we discount life experiences um, like uh, secondary jobs in non-legal fields or experience in volunteering. Um, 
But more often than not, you will have gained transferable skills doing those experiences. And those transferable skills definitely have a place on your pupillage application form and are likely to be very relevant to at least some aspects of life at the bar. So that would be my advice. If you have um, jobs outside of the law, if you've had um, work experiences, internships outside of the law, definitely think about them and see if you can include them um, by drawing on relevant skills that you've learned there. Great tip. Um, Wen Jin. Um, so my tip would be to answer the question. So if I remember, and it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit difficult to remember now, but in my year, the Bar Council had two compulsory questions. One of them was, why do you believe that you would make a good barrister? There's actually two questions in that. What do you think a good barrister needs? Why do you fit that criteria? And it's very natural when you answer that question to immediately go off and try and answer part two. You spat off your CV and talk about why you know, you're a great advocate or you have great writing skills. But it's very important to also answer part one and link your answer back to why those elements are required for a good barrister. So always read your answer back once you finish writing it and make sure that it answers the question that, they're, that they require of you. Thank you. Um, Charlie? Yeah, I suppose tying together some of what's being said, I think there's no one-size-fits-all approach to it. You have to fill out the application form in a way that reflects you and your life experiences and why that makes you a good barrister. But I think also, um, certainly Keating, um, and I think at the very least from this year onwards, we, we publish uh, our mark scheme and what we're looking for from applicants. And that's a really important thing to look at because it means that you can understand precisely what we want and how to tailor your application to it. So look at the materials that we provide specifically about applications on our website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think the theme of all those answers was, um, the sort of underlying theme was, what, what is a Chambers looking for? And Chambers tell you what they're looking for because they all publish their selection criteria. So when you're writing the application form, you're deploying your evidence to demonstrate that you fit their selection criteria. So you know what the agenda is. It's written, they've, they've told you already. Um, and I was, we were going to do um, tips for interviews as well. Um, I'll start with Charlie this time. I, I mean, it's hard not to feel like I'm giving sort of generic advice about it. But um, in this uh, snowflake world, just be yourself. That's, 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 that's my advice. I, I don't think there's any formula um, that you can write on a piece of paper and adhere to and somehow necessarily succeed wherever you go. I think every good barrister that I've ever learned from is themselves when they are an advocate and is themselves when you meet them to discuss a legal point, for example. So true. I think that's very true. And, and I think you've just got to bring yourself to the table because every barrister has a unique part of them that makes them a good barrister. And it's about you bringing that out and conveying to people what it is you would bring to the party if we decided to invite you along. Yeah, exactly. And that's not sort of come along and do juggling in a crown in a clown suit. Don't you don't have to stand out sort of in a in a ridiculous way, but you you don't have to be afraid to be yourself, I think is what you're That's right. Yeah. Um Wen Jin, um interview interview tips. Um well my advice is gonna sound generic as well, but it's born out of personal experience. And that's to be prepared. Um at this stage you've probably applied to many chambers and you've probably um 
you know, researched and done a whole lot of things. And there's a lot of information in your head and you might well have forgotten what you read to the specific chambers. So before the interview day, always make sure you look through everything that you've written, including your CV. And I remember at my first round interview, I keep thinking, um, I can't remember exactly who asked. And I can't remember if any of you were in the interview panel, but somebody asked me about a point on my CV that happened about three or four years back. And there was a long 10 second pause because I couldn't exactly remember if I had done it or not. And I still remember that today and it worked out in the end, but I, you shouldn't make the same mistake that I did. Thank you. Uh, Lena. I would say, um, and this is also born out of personal experience, be precise and where possible, give signposts to your answer. So when you have very open-ended questions like, well, why did you apply to this chambers? Why are you interested in this particular area of the law? I would say be confident and say, well, there's three reasons why I've applied to this and then go through that method. Oh, <laughs> I've forgotten how to pronounce that word. Um, just Methodology. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. This is what happens when English is your second language. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> the words just don't come to you uh, in, in a sort of structured way and uh, proceed um, with that structure. And I think that helps firstly, uh, to allow the panel to follow you. Uh, but secondly, it also allows you yourself to, to, to keep track of what needs to be said and what you want to say and what message you want to convey. Uh, so I think that for me was always a big uh, uh, aid in, in, in preparing for pupillage interviews, but also in being there and, and in answering the questions. Yeah. And I suppose it helps you to remember what you've, what you've prepared as well. Well, precisely. Yeah. Um, ben? What I would say, first of all, like when Jin, my advice is also based on my own traumatic experiences. <laughs> um, this is like a therapy session. We should all have like, <laughs> make sure we have sweet tea at the uh, standing by for afterwards. Um, and my advice is say what you think the answer to the question is, as opposed to trying to second guess what the panel are looking for. Um, and in particular, when the panel start pushing back at you, on a specific point that is not the panel necessarily saying that your that your answer is wrong it's them looking for you to maybe justify what you're doing and to see if you can respond now it's on some occasions it may be right that you have taken a misstep and someone has pointed something out and, and, and it may be appropriate to concede um and adapt your argument in light of that but it but, but what you were saying may also have been the right thing and they were just testing you um in one of my first second round interviews, when I don't even study law for a couple of months, it was very tricky. Um, I uh, the panel put a point to me two or three times, and I started to think, well, that must be the right answer, and they must be trying to see to, to see that I can understand the relevant points. So I then conceded that point, though not believing it was right, and for the next ten minutes was grilled on why that point was correct, and I had nothing to say. Um, <laughs> so, um, That's awful. Yes, it was, it was difficult. Um, and I realised then that actually sticking to my guns in response to that badgering and just saying, that, no, 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 this is correct because X, Y, Z, if I thought that was the case, which I did, would have been a superior approach and wouldn't have led me down that tricky garden path. Yeah, and I think I think that's that sort of leads to a really um, a really good point about what what chambers are looking for in interviews. We're looking to see how people think. 
not whether they happen to have got the right answer on the particular point in the interview. Usually at interview stage, Secretary Chambers are not that interested in whether the answer is right, but whether the candidate can justify it in a logical way, because that's the skill, obviously, that we're looking for as a barrister. And I had a, um, a similar experience to you, Ben, um, albeit slightly the other way around. When I was um, interviewing for pupillage, I was asked a question about pure economic loss. And to this day, I have the wrong instincts about pure economic loss. I can't see why it isn't recoverable. And I thought so 20 years ago. And I said that on the particular thing I was being asked about, yes, it was recoverable in pure economic loss. And then I was then I was grilled for, for what felt like about a year and a half about why that answer was the right thing. Now, luckily, it was taught. So you can basically argue tort any way you want. So I just argued why pure economic loss should be recoverable in tort, because clearly should be the law. Um, I mean, candidates listening, it is sometimes, just not all the time. Um, the um, and, uh, and I got pupillage in that set, um, notwithstanding that I gave the wrong legal answer on the particular facts of what I was being asked, because what they were interested in was whether I could... Um, put forward an argument to support what I was saying, not actually whether the absolute answer was right or wrong. So try, I think, in interviews to not worry too much about giving the right answer, but the one that you think is right and that you can justify with reasons. Um, and then we were, I think the next thing we've got on the list is um, just to talk about COVID impact on um, on Chambers Life generally and, and minis and pupillage. Um, because I know that candidates um, are very interested in that at the moment. Understandably, it's not the best time to be um, uh, looking for a mini pupillage and a pupillage. And Charlie, on minis, you're in charge of minis in chambers. So I, I thought I'd ask you to talk about COVID and minis first. Yeah, so uh, COVID has obviously affected um, what we do, but it, it hasn't affected the fact that we offer mini pupillages. We've got um, virtual mini pupillages that um, are running throughout the the year, and will be running until COVID decides to um, dissipate. Uh, and the way they're structured is that um, everyone dials in on a on a call like this. So you get an introduction from a junior member of Chambers about life um, in Chambers from a junior perspective, uh, and then uh, we set you a, a legal problem that you can go away and um, and have a think about. And then afterwards, we'll all come back together for a coffee break chat where it's your opportunity to ask us any questions that you want about a career at the bar or a career in our set, applications for pupillage, et cetera. Then we come back uh, again, giving you a bit more time to look at your problem and discuss the answer to it, or at least what we think might be the right answer. Uh, and you get your opportunity to put your views to us. And then it's all uh, wrapped off at the end of the day with a talk from a Silkin Chambers about um, career prospects and you then get to see how a career might develop through its whole trajectory. So in short, we're still offering mini pupillages. You can still apply. We're holding loads throughout the year. Um, get involved. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Um, and I think I'll do, I'll ask um, Lena to talk, to talk a little bit about um, pupillage in the time of COVID, which we all know is not as great as it should be. But tell us about it. I would I would preface my answer by saying that um, pupillage during COVID is, of course, the only thing I know. So oftentimes I'll have members of chambers come to me and say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry that you have to go through this during COVID. You know, it's so great. It's such a great experience uh, at any other time. But frankly, this is all I know. So at, at face value, pupillage at chambers has still been an incredibly informative 
experience and incredibly exciting and also very challenging um, time. In terms of particular challenges, I would say more than anything, uh, it's the lack of social uh, interaction on a regular basis. I think social interactions oftentimes help to break the day up um, and to also sort of uh, help you digest some of the things that you're being you're being faced with um, so obviously there there are some things that are certainly missing um, yeah. but but chambers has taken quite a lot of steps to ensure that we can still engage with other members of chambers we have regular friday evening drinks um, of course we can speak to our supervisors uh, as well as our secondary supervisors and those members who are still coming into chambers so it's not all bad, but I would say that is definitely one of the challenges that um, future applicants need to think about. And they also need to think about, well, how am I going to deal with that um, if this COVID situation is still going to be around in one or two years' times? Yeah, fingers crossed we're going to be, it's going to be okay. Again. I, I, um, hope, I hope it isn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think we're all, we're all very much... Um, you know, fingers crossed for that. The um, just something that you said, Lena. You mentioned secondary supervisors, and I just wanted to clarify for the people who are thinking the applicants who might be listening um, that what Keating has done is uh, we've allocated everyone's got a pupil supervisor in the usual way, but we've also given people secondary supervisors who are members of chambers that are coming into chambers more often. Um, usually, people like me who live closer to chambers, um, so, to, so as to make sure the idea was that there'd be somebody around, generally speaking, in chambers that people could speak to in person, another human, as opposed to just doing it all over video chats. Wen Jin, can you give us your perspective on on how it's how it's been, how it's working? I mean, I'd echo a lot of what Lena said, and I just add that chambers has been very flexible throughout. Uh, they've been very accommodating. So they've given us the option of either working in chambers or working from home. So obviously, you can't tell that I'm in chambers right now, but Lena's working from her house. Um, and we have plans. <laughs> if and when we want to do that. Um, beyond that, you know, we have the secondary supervisor system. We've also been given spare officers. So I think they've done um, as much as they can to ensure that pupillage at this, in these strange circumstances is still an educational. Yeah, and overall, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and Charlie and Ben, I mean, I suppose... The thing I'm missing is just is this is seeing my friends in chambers and first of all socialising with them, but second of all asking them the answer to questions um, that I don't know the answer to in my cases. Um, because I think I think it's quite uh, people quite often think of the bar as being quite a lonely profession where you just sit in your room reading cases from the 1800s and then then opining with a you know with a quill pen. But it's much more collaborative than that, isn't it? And much more friendly. You get help all the time from from your colleagues in chambers. And that that's my worst thing about COVID in chambers. I don't know, Ben. Have you been you've been coming in sometimes, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so firstly, I'd say that um, I experienced both sides of pupillage because COVID cut my pupillage in half. Yes, it did, didn't um, it? Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the first six months was completely normal. Everyone in um, sitting in supervisors rooms with them and getting around and meeting people etc going to court um and then the second half was done entirely from my own from my own room um so um so it it, it made for a very different first and second six months um the one thing i'd say is that as lena and when Jin have said, it doesn't mean Chambers will forget about you. They keep in contact. The clerks are asking you how you are. Your supervisors uh, regularly are as well. Um, but 
sort of you do necessarily miss out on some experiences socializing being the main one that that, that we've been that we've been speaking about and again people try to make the best of it we have there, there are chambers drinks on zoom and that sort of thing um, but as we've all experienced over the last six months it's it's a bit rubbish um but um but uh you know everyone's just trying to make do in the circumstances and hopefully we'll be, we'll be able to do things like drinks and talk to each other in person reasonably soon yeah and that's that's actually reminded me but i meant to ask we we at keating we put quite a lot of emphasis on our people's getting advocacy experience in their second six months and your second six months pretty much coincided exactly with the start of the pandemic and i know that that meant that you didn't get as much advocacy experience in your second six as we would normally ensure happened um but i believe that all of the all of our new tenants are getting a few um hearings in the diary now do you want to just speak about that briefly yeah so um having spoken to previous pupils um i think generally uh the clerks try and get two or three hearings small claims hearings into your uh into your diary within the within your second six months um unfortunately when the pandemic hit those sorts of claims started to dry up as people were putting off starting proceedings um until hopefully the thing passed they've now started coming in again and i think um the the three most uh, the three of us that finished our pupilage last year me john and thomas have all had hearings now um so i've done two or three virtual small claims hearings and i've actually i've got my in-person one in wakefield on monday oh cool um yeah thanks um uh and so um yes they have started to creep back into our uh our practices which has been which has been good great um so the last thing i was going to ask everyone is um favorite part of construction so far um I've asked this once on another one of these um, videos and podcasts, but this is a different this is a different panel. And I appreciate that Lena and Wenjin have got um, what is it three months of experience of construction so far. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not expecting you to um, to come up with a, an incredibly detailed answer. But what what's your favourite thing so far? Um, start with Wenjin. Um, well, obviously, with that caveat that I've only had about three months' experience. I suppose um, the striking thing so far is um, the variety of work involved. So there's there's construction disputes are quite unique because they run the scale all the way from really small um, renovations for your house all the way to large infrastructure projects. And and there's a real scope of issues that, that you can see throughout this this field that I find very interesting. What about you, Lena? I, I will definitely echo <coughs> what Wen Jin just said. Um, but I would add, actually, the... Uh, things that I didn't realize how much I would enjoy, but but I certainly have, is learning about the actual projects and uh, learning uh, uh, about cladding, which is definitely uh, one of the areas that comes up quite a lot, learning about how a plant works. And I know that might seem really silly, but I think that actually is one of the aspects that makes construction law so, so great. You are learning. That's one of the coolest bits. You're totally right. Absolutely. You're learning constantly. And as an avid watcher of how is this made as a child, uh, this really does feel like such a such a great job and such a great opportunity to just know how stuff works. And I think that's really great. So definitely one of my favorite parts thus far. Ben, what about you? Yeah. 
I, I would completely agree with that. Um, it's uh, it's great that a big part of your job is having to understand things that are way above your head, um, and uh, and have uh, nothing to do with any of your prior experience. Um, for example, having to uh, get to the root of why a landslip in Jersey occurred or why there was a fire in a power station, that sort of thing, um, I think is I think is great fun. And um, yes, just to echo what uh, Lena and Wenjin said as well, there is enormous variety. So both in the sort of scale um of uh of the cases that you're involved involved with certainly as a junior tenant you can be uh doing something because a, lo- a loft conversion has gone awry um or you can be a junior on an enormous case um about the construction of some massive project uh s- somewhere in the uh far somewhere off. far away in the world <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um and um and i think that variety leads to lots of new things coming onto your desk on a daily basis and keeps it very interesting. Charlie? Well, I think it's been captured really well, um, the things that are really enjoyable about construction practice. I sort of add that at the end of it, you can be dealing with an enormous scale infrastructure project somewhere far away. And then when it comes to trial, you get 60, 80 files that you've got to condense into an opening and actually, though this might make me sound quite sad, at the end of it, the idea that you can put together 150 pages of text, setting out your case, condensing all that information and trying to explain why you say you're right about what remedies you seek is actually a really fun process at the end of it to have distilled it down like that and get to look at it on the page. It's, it, it is good fun, I'm afraid. No, it, it is good fun. I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I would just say, I, I mean, I think everybody's, I always find it very difficult. My favourite thing about um, doing our area of work is because I I just think it's fab, all of it. But I think the combination of um, sort of serious intellectual challenge where you've got pure contract issues to look at in every single case, um, combined with the sort of factual complexity where you've got a huge volume of stuff that you're the detective and you're going to work out what the answer is combined with the very very cool technical issues where you get to learn from an engineer how to build Wembley Stadium or or why um, motorway crash barriers are designed how they are to absorb energy um, combined with being able to do international arbitration and high court work um, and so opportunities Generally speaking, um, international arbitration hearings don't settle, so you get lots of advocacy experience as well, um, more than you might otherwise do in other areas of, of, of commercial work. So, yeah, I, I, I love I love everything about it. It's, it's, it's tragic, as you say, Charlie, but, you know, we're lucky. It's great. Um, thank you very much, everyone. That was really, really kind of you. Um, I'll, um, I'll, I'll sign off on the podcast and the video. Thanks for listening, guys. There's one more in this series. I um, uh, hope you'll tune in. Thank you. Bye-bye.